Glory to Jesus Christ. Welcome to the 21st episode of Encountering the Trinity. I'm your host, Steve Nichols, and joining me this afternoon, um, actually morning for Father Phil, uh, but yes, Father Phil, you're here. You're with me. <laughs> I'm here and I'm with you, Steve. Uh, maybe maybe not as close as the persons of the Trinity with each other, but we're in good communion. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, uh, good afternoon, good morning uh, to our our listeners. Good evening, whenever you're listening. Um, uh, our, our podcast can be found on iTunes, and Father Phil and I would just be as happy as could be if you wouldn't mind taking some time uh, for uh, the the person that listens, um, I know you're out there and you're hearing this. Um, <laughs> if, if you don't mind going on to iTunes and rating our podcast, maybe even actually writing a review, uh, that does help us in the iTunes listings. It actually increases the visibility of the podcast and helps us get this message out there for for everyone. And that would be the best thing you could do um, for us other than obviously praying for myself and Father Phil. But Father Phil, would would you mind starting us out this morning, this uh, afternoon, uh, uh, today? Let's just, <laughs> it's today. Do you mind starting us out today with a prayer? Let's do that, yeah. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Lord, as we enter into this holiest week of our Christian year, we ask for a special grace this year from your Holy Spirit to enter in deeply to the mystery of your suffering, death, and resurrection, and also to see the glory of your resurrection in your holy ascension as well, and the fulfillment of your incarnation in the descent of the Holy Spirit upon us, creating us to be your mystical body. Grant us the gifts of wisdom and knowledge and understanding that we need for this podcast, and grant those same gifts to our listeners not uh, just for the purpose of iTunes or rating us, but for the purpose we do, all that we do for you is to grow closer to you and to glorify your name as you glorified the Father on Calvary. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Amen. Well, Father Phil, our podcast is all about pointing people, um, those that listen, anyone, to a deep, intimate relationship with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit in the person of Jesus Christ, as St. Paul says, um, in Christ. And I know we've had podcasts in the past where we've talked about that, and we will continue to do so. And um, last week, I... I, I guess it was inspiration from the Holy Spirit. Um, I just was led to the book of John and 17.3, and it says, Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. And I mean that's really what we're all about here at Encountering the Trinity, and really what um, the, the whole reason why Christ even came. And I was wondering if you wouldn't mind, um, as succinctly as you could, without no, no I want to give you a hard time about uh, uh, um, your uh, what do you, what do you call that when you oh, overkill? Um, but uh, <laughs> but that's that's really what we're all about. And I was wondering if we could focus on that today, in particular that scripture, and that's really what Holy Week, which we're we're in right now, is all about. 
Yeah, I think that uh, also in Holy Week, we we have all those beautiful passages from this very same uh, chapter in the Gospel of John, the, the kind of the final prayer of Jesus for his apostles, the sometimes known as the high priestly prayer of Jesus for his apostles. And um, that beautiful verse three that you read, eternal life is this, that they know the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Um, you know, Jesus really following the early church fathers, you know, you and I have said so much, and this kind of drives our Trinitarian perspective. As St. Athanasius following Irenaeus and many of the other fathers said, uh, the reason God became man so that man, men and women can become God, by which he meant so that they can enter into the knowledge of the Father um, in the Son, so that they can actually share in the same knowledge of the Father that the Son has. And knowledge there, of course, means neither insight nor wisdom, really, but a literal uh, one-flesh participation in the humanity of Jesus, hypostatically united to, to his Father, and sharing then in his own divine nature. So, and I know we've been over this many times before as well, but it bears repeating always, because it's the North Star of our, of our mission here in our apostolate. You know, St. Maximus the Confessor put it so well, in the same way, but inversely, these aren't his exact words, but um, this is his sense, in the same way that the divine person of Jesus acquired and assumed a human nature in Mary, we human persons assume and assimilate into ourselves a divine nature when we are baptized into Christ. So there's this acquisition of a human nature on the part of the divine person, Jesus, and the acquisition, or really the reception of a divine nature on our part, as human persons, exact uh, replicas of each other, the only difference being that in the one case it's a divine person and in our case it's a human person, so that we never cease being those kinds of things that we are, those kinds of persons. But we acquire all the qualities, characteristics, and capacities of the nature that is assumed. So and, and I think it's really important to, to try to get a felt sense of this, to understand that verse 3. You know, we say that Jesus is fully human, and I don't think there's a person among us that doesn't believe that at, in becoming human, this divine person became capacitated with the ability to feel, think, act, behave, and be tempted in every way that we are without sin. In other words, he experienced every dimension from the physical to the spiritual to the mental to the emotional, every dimension of what it means to be human. And in, exact, in exactly the same way, we acquire all the capacities, uh, potentialities, and powers of what it means to be divine. That's why the Father said to become God. So that St. Paul can say things like, acquire the mind of Christ, have in you the mind that was in Jesus. He means that quite literally. He means that through the power of the Holy Spirit, we are given gifts of the Holy Spirit that enable us to have this, to participate in the same uncreated wisdom that God is in himself. We are able to experience it in our hearts, in our minds, and in our very bodies. 
you were speaking earlier, Steve, or we were speaking before you came. We came on the podcast today about certain gifts of the Holy Spirit that you're beginning to experience yourself um, uh, in in receipt of, uh, especially the gift of discernment and and uh, and prudence. And these are sharings in the very life of God Himself. He is those qualities in their totality but I partake of them, I participate in them, I even acquire them in the measure that I'm capable of acquiring them as a human person, but they are no less real and they are no less, no less godly, meaning of God. And so I don't want to pursue this too much, but I think our listeners should be getting a sense. So, so the purpose of the incarnation then is to really to assimilate us in to all that Jesus Christ is in himself as God. And that means, by virtue of the Trinitarian relationship, also imparting to us true knowledge of his Father. You know, later on in verse 21 of that same chapter, Jesus prays this for his apostles, that they may all be one, even as you, Father, are in me, and I am in them. Now, there is the divine indwelling, known as the perichoresis, the, the inner penetration of Father and Son, perfectly melded together, but without confusion, and totally distinct, but absolutely inseparable, just as the two natures are um, uh, perfectly um, united but remain unmixed. So there's a there's a mystery of inner penetration here, of which the one flesh union of man and woman is a uh, sacramental icon. This inner penetration that's the meaning of knowledge, as John is using it here. You know, Adam knew Eve. It means that one flesh intimacy, uncorrupted by concupiscence. And that inner penetration of man and woman in the, in the sacrament of nuptial union, in a Christian sense, is, is, a, is a perfect but insufficient uh, image of, number one, the you and me, Father, and I and you of the Trinity. But then he prays that they may also be in us in the same way that we are in each other. That's why that phrase, in Christ, means so much for St. Paul, because it connotes everything that I'm saying here. And so Jesus wants us to have the same union among ourselves with him and with him that he has with the Father. So it's this mutual indwelling, or as the Germans call it, the in ein ander, each in the other, without losing their own unique personhood and identity and personality. And, and that, is a, that, that is the absolutely central mystery of the Christian faith. And all these mysteries, and that's, that's the mystery of what, what theologians will call the imminent trinity, the trinity as it is in itself. And all the mysteries now that we're about to celebrate in, in sequential form and in chronological form, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, we experience all of those mysteries in sequence. You know, first the ministry, first the, the, the arrest, then the, then the scourging, and then the torture, and then the carrying of the cross, and then the death, and then the resurrection, and then the ascension, and then the descent of the Holy Spirit on Pentecost. Those 
events that we experience in the economy of God, in the salvation history of God, in a sequential form, in a chronological form, all of those are simultaneously given in the mystery of the Father and the Son together from all eternity. So what's being played out in history on the screen of the events of Holy Week are actually dimensions of the Father's relationship with the Son and the Son's relationship with the Father that we are being drawn into through the acting out of these dimensions in the historical suffering and death of Jesus and then imparted to us in the representation of that Paschal mystery in the Mass. So I know I'm I'm really doing a little overkrill here, and I apologize <laughs> for that. But, you know, again, there's, as I was writing recently in the book that I'm trying to do on this same topic, there's no other way to kind of convey a sense of the divine excess of God without coming at it in this very kind of almost indirect way and coming at it from many different angles, because like a diamond, there are just so many facets to it, but it's all the same mystery. And we tend to chop these mysteries up into the crucifixion, the resurrection, the ascension, and the descent of the Holy Spirit. But in the Trinitarian relationships, they are not separate. And in what God is trying to do with us, namely draw us into that same indwelling of the Father in the Son and the Son in the Father through the Holy Spirit. In that mystery, these other mysteries, um, well, let me put it this way, these other mysteries of the events we celebrate in Holy Week are historical manifestations of a single mystery, which is the desire of the Father and Son for each other and their mutual desire that we be one in them as they are one in each other. So a long way around to answer your question, but I think, again, I think you've hit on this. I mean, really, we could contemplate that verse 3 till the end of our life. (laughs) Absolutely. Describe salvation, but it would, as we contemplated, it would bring us actually into the very thing that it's stating. Yeah, into the mystery. I was wondering, by way of contrast, this idea of us knowing the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit um, and it being more than just a knowledge of or a knowledge of, about, uh-huh. but more, much more deeply experience of and entering into that mystery of that relationship. I'm wondering if by way of contrast, that's what, uh, if that's what we're celebrating really, um, not only this week, but uh, for, you know, at, at all times as Christians is Christ's knowing us, the, 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 the eternal word of God knowing us, not in the way of knowing about us and knowing of us, but literally taking on human flesh and a human nature in the incarnation and then experiencing everything we experience and then literally descending to the very depths of the earth and experiencing that utter separation from the Father, what it means to be completely cut off um, and then rising in glory. I'm wondering if, you know, if that's a, a good contrast uh, um, in the sense that, that, you know, as Jesus says, I am with you always. And, and I think that means in everything every human has ever experienced that um, is any form of suffering, 
um, that that he knows that because he literally has taken it on upon himself, um, and and um, has has healed um, that that wound that separates us from the Father. Um, and I'm wondering if there's if there's that contrast there of of you know of one you know one being able to look at it as in one sense because Jesus knows us we can know the Father. I think that's technically true, but I think you hit on the depth of it just a minute ago when you said he took it on to himself and thereby healed it. Um, you know, there's a great word in Greek, and I don't know Greek, but I know this word. It's it's the word we get our, our English term pharmacy from, pharmatikon. And that means a little bit of the poison that uh, makes you immune to the poison that wants to kill you. So my understanding of my limited understanding of medicine is that, you know, the flu shot is giving you the smallest taste of the poison so that your system develops an immunity to the disease that would like to kill you. And I think in the incarnation and and the Paschal mystery, we have Jesus drinking in all of the poison in order to neutralize its effect on those who are then put upon by it. So that the fathers always said with Gregory of Nazianzen, that which is not assumed is not healed. In other words, that which Jesus has not taken into himself is not does is not capable of participating in the eternal life that he gave us. And conversely, everything that he has taken into himself becomes a means of theosis or deification. And therefore, since he has taken upon himself and entered into the mysteries of death, the tomb, and, and, the, and, and hell itself. He has made all of those realities, he has imparted to all of those a share in his own um, access to the Father. So death becomes sanctified because Jesus went down into it. It it was incapable of holding him because he is the resurrection and the dead, the resurrection and the life, even before he rises from the dead. This is a revolution in theological thinking that most Catholics and most Christians, I suspect, have not even begun to anticipate in their their thinking, uh, at least in the West, because for us... Um, it seems that the um, resurrection was God's reward somehow or the crowning achievement of the crucifixion. But as one um, Orthodox theologian whose quote I'm looking at at this very minute says, and it's very true, the crucifixion did not make the resurrection necessary. Rather, in order that the resurrection might come to light, the crucifixion had to be <laughs> Do you see the difference there? Exactly, because wasn't it wasn't it the very fact that Christ took on our nature that really that's when the healing began. That's when everything in a sense was already accomplished. Um or am I wrong there? 
Well, that's exactly right. And as we record this, uh, it's it's March 26, 2013. And even though we were not supposed to celebrate the Feast of the Annunciation yesterday, which is its normal time on March 25th, because it's Holy Week and we're going to celebrate it, I think, the second week after Easter, I went ahead and celebrated it anyway, because <laughs> favorite one of my favorite feasts. And, and you're exactly right, Steve. Many of the fathers saw the Annunciation as the moment of our salvation, because the moment that, that Jesus, the eternal word in his divine personhood, entered the womb of Mary and took on the dust and ashes of the human world. He took on all the mortality and all the death that had been in the world prior to his coming, and he imparted to it the capacity for eternal life, who he is. I say the capacity because even though creation and death itself and the grave has become now for us no longer a block, but an entree, an entryway, a doorway, no longer a closed door, because he's opened, literally, the gates of hell. Um, We still, created in his image and likeness, must assent to walking through it. Um, Otherwise, uh, he he will have died in vain or created us uh, wrongly, which is not the case. So, um, so, but you're right, that, that is the moment um, of our salvation should we choose to accept it. And he has, he has turned what were barriers to union with God and true knowledge of God into actually graced avenues of union with God. And so suffering now becomes no longer just a human surd or a um, vindictive consequence of evil. It actually, because Christ took it into himself and deified it or made it an avenue of deification, I guess is the way I should put it, it now becomes for us a prime opportunity rather than a a tombstone that covers us up forever. And and that's, that's the miracle and the mystery of the Incarnation. Yeah, it's a absolutely beautiful mystery. And um, there, there's just always something that um, is so fascinating to me that I um, I think you, you touched a little bit upon. And that, um, for me, um, e- even when I became Catholic um, and over the past several years as I've done a lot of studying, one of the, the mysteries of, of Christianity that is touched upon so little is... Holy Saturday and and the the descent and um and it's still I mean I, I guess it still remains a mystery in a sense because there there isn't a whole lot of um I guess I'd say dogmatic teaching of exactly what all that means there's a lot of speculation it seems to me but um, there again I, I have very little knowledge and so maybe you could expound upon that but that to me it it seems so utterly amazing. Uh, when when I hear the words that by death death was destroyed, um, you know, and, and meaning that when death swallowed up life, um, that being our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, death was conquered, and it wasn't at least the the little bit that I'm understanding here, and perhaps I'm I'm misguided or wrong, and so you can correct me, Father Phil. But um, from what I understand, it it's that that literally Christ took upon Himself everything that separated man from the father um 
in order to heal it and to make it so that we can then, you know, that so that nothing now can separate us from the Father um, if we so choose. You know, if we decide to enter into that, there's that, you know, there's nothing that can keep us from the Father. So I, I am I. I don't know if I'm right or wrong. But... You are. You are absolutely right. But there's a very delicate point at stake here, and a, and an absolutely crucial point at stake here. Um, the key phrase again to repeat. You've touched on it. He took everything into himself in order to heal it. Um, I say it's a clear critical distinction because for 800 years since the elaborate development of certain atonement theories, Christianity has been turned into kind of a stoic exercise and that we're somehow supposed to, that somehow it's thought that by admiring the great amount of pain that Jesus suffered, we're somehow delivered from death. And that it was his, that it was his suffering and death that redeemed us. And it was absolutely not. It was the love with which he did it and the purpose for which he did it. And he did it just to, he took that on to himself, number one, so that his resurrection could be manifest, but also to really, uh, as Balthazar says, the crucifixion simply places on display for the world to see the way in which the Son is poured out towards the Father in the life of the Trinity, and the degree to which he wants to pour his divine mercy out upon the world. Um, So the crucifixion and the hill of Calvary is simply the screen upon which Jesus is trying to manifest his Trinitarian love on the one hand for the Father and on the other for us. It's not a matter of us feeling sorry for him, either him pitying us or us pitying him. Um, it's it's that he's trying to make evident that his love is stronger than anything that can be done against it. And it's the revelation of that that is meant to melt the hearts of those who are hardened in sin. I'm not saying this exactly perfectly, but I think you're getting the drift. Yeah, I, I well, I love the words of our Lord that when he, when he says, no one takes my life from me, but I give it freely. Yes. And I, I love, the, really, the, the depth of that goes all the way back to the garden and how the the mode of um, relation relationality or relationship was before the fall of, uh, and I know you've spoken on this before, of, of how Adam and Eve acted just, to, just as, uh, the you know, the, the communion of persons in the Trinity of, of total gift um, and, and receptivity. To one another, and how that mode changed in the fall, and how our way of relating um, changed. Where where now we we want to blame others, we want to find scapegoats, we want to grasp and take and withhold. And Jesus, you know, in in the 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 climax of of history, um, shows us no. <laughs> That's that's not how relationship is done, um, and and so I give myself freely. Um, I hold nothing back, and I am total gratuitous love. And and this is it's on display now. <laughs> right, 
And, you know, uh, the problem with so much atonement theology is that it tends to project the scapegoating capacity onto God the Father, so that somehow in these theories of atonement, starting with Anselm, but, but developed by many other scholastic theologians, the main line of thinking is that the father slaughtered his son in order to make up for a sin against himself way back when. I mean, there's nothing about it that resonates love. Yep. Uh, you can make a torturous interpretation of it that kind of comes out that way, but it all rests on stoical rather than Christian foundations when you look at it very carefully, and this is not a time to go into that at great length. Um, the Fathers and Balthazar have a very different take on what was happening on Holy Thursday, and, and especially on that, that line that uh, by, by assuming death, he undid death. You know, the image that many of the Fathers used was uh, for the crucifixion and, and Jesus being gobbled up by death to do death in was the vision of, it kind of co co correlates a little bit with the vision of, of Jonah, that the uh, evil one uh, they compared to, a, to a, a big hungry fish who was seeking to devour this pitiful little worm that he was looking at here. You know, Jesus on the cross quotes Psalm 22 and mm -hmm. calls himself a worm. You know, yep. I am poured out before you. I am nothing but a worm in God's sight. And death or evil, all the evil in the world, all the suffering in the world, all the evil in the world, including the final evil, death itself, imaged forth in this big uh, shark, comes and sees the little worm there and gobbles it up as the last victory over the last remaining particle of food in the ocean. But what it didn't realize is under the humanity, as the fathers would say, under the worm was the hook. And the worm and the, and the raw piece of meat that Jesus was on the cross, beneath that was the power of his resurrection, was the power of his divinity, which he always was, even in human form. So that divinity was manifesting itself even in the way that he was mangled on the cross. What, what would mangling be an image of? It would be an image of the absolute nth degree to which he wants to open himself. He was opened how many times with the scourging and the nails? It's as if his physical body on the cross is a vivid, bloody image of how much, how many, how many ways in which, how many portals through which he wants to pour the love for his father that's in his heart down upon the world. It has nothing to do with God puncturing him full of holes in order to make the father feel good about himself. That's just pure sadism. Again, forgive me for caricaturing these atonement theories so sadly, but, but it very often does not get beyond that in, in a lot of reflection with the poor Christian people. But really, if you think of it in this other way, and, and one of, Balthazar has said and this is somewhat controversial, but he says that there's a greater suffering. You know, Jesus feels abandoned by the Father. Pope Benedict points out quite clearly in his catechesis on Jesus' prayer in Gethsemane and in, and in Jesus' prayer on the cross, that when Jesus is saying, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? He's actually making a prayer of trust and fidelity and hopefulness in God, even though the superficial grammar sounds like 
a stoical form of abandonment as woe is me and now even my father doesn't love me and somehow my realizing that my father doesn't love me is going to please my father. I mean, it makes no sense at all in, in any way that you want to interpret that approach to it. What Benedict says is the way to really look at it, and Benedict and Balthazar are of, are of the same mind here, that there was actually a greater suffering within the life of the father in the experience of Jesus' abandonment on the cross, and that the father purposely or the spirit, really, purposely withdrew a felt sense of the Father's presence in the Son on the cross in order to provide an opportunity for the Son to demonstrate in the fullest possible way his unconditional trust and fidelity in his Father, even without the emotional reinforcement. In other words, the Father moved aside with love and suffering, in order to furnish the Son with the opportunity of demonstrating to the world what it means to be in perfect, faithful union with the Father. Yeah, I think the... It's a a most beautiful image that they are both undergoing a passion, like a father, Steve, you're a father and so am I. Yeah letting your child, not picking them up when they fall down, and then they look to you for a word of encouragement, and you look at them with a blank stare. You know, as we say sometimes afterwards, that that hurt me more than it hurt you. But unless I did it, (laughs) you could not become who you are in the way that I know you to be. Now I'm saying it right. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think the beauty of it, and maybe I... um... I'm. I, I don't know. Uh, the the thing that I'm seeing as you're saying that is is that 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 um, that image of Christ and and what he's saying there shows that even despair has been defeated. Yes. That 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 there's literally nothing that Christ has not conquered. He is King of all, and he has defeated everything. You know, and and that everything has been healed and that that literally he uh the thing that i love when he says that i am with you always uh to to us today and and to to all men of all time um is is that literally in everything that we experience christ is there with us and and it's not just a superficial way it is to the very depth of our experience in a way more profound than we'll ever understand that that he literally has assumed it all and conquered it all and is healing it all we just have to have the eyes to see it well, that's and it. it's and, it's so beautiful well and it's also important right here to remember that he does that freely as you said no one takes my life from he does it freely gratefully and joyfully even though it involves pain at a physical human level he does it joyfully he doesn't go to the cross in a morose manner he's 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 joyful because he's doing the truth it's as if he's saying to the father father let me taste death so i can impart to it a share in the resurrection and the life whom you have made me let me taste despair so that i can impart to it the trust in you that I have so that when your creatures enter into it, 
they will also sense my presence among them. He, he took on all these things to impart to them the life that the Father himself had begotten him with. Yeah, it's like as, as if he who is hope had to taste despair in order to destroy it, just like he had to taste death in order to destroy it, because yes. that's he is life, he is hope. Yes. And so it's because, and, and again, I, I know you've spoken to this um, when we're talking about discernment, and it's um, I know you've said this, and I, I'm still thinking about this and trying to chew on it, of how, and I actually mentioned this to a co-worker the other day, of how the fact that in, in his very person, Jesus is mercy. He is the Redeemer. And, and you've said um, that it's uh, as if the world God created through his Son, he knew it would fall. And it was because of the simple fact that Christ needed to, to exercise who he is. You know, I mean, that, that, that part of who he is could not be actualized in a sense um, or, or be exercised without a world to redeem. Um, that and, thought has, Steve, that thought recently for me has become the my, kind of my new North Star of trying to communicate to people that the Christian faith is not all about us, if, at about, if about us at all. It's all about him and what he needs to do because of who he is. Here, here is the quote from Irenaeus. Since the one who saves, Jesus, the eternal word, now I'm adding those to clarify, since the one who saves already existed from all eternity in the Trinity, it was necessary that those who would be saved should come into existence, that the one who saves should not exist in vain. <laughs> <laughs> now, you see, this is a very roundabout way of making a of, of of bringing to light a truth that can be brought into light in no other way because we think about the atonement the paschal mystery and the life death and resurrection of Jesus in altogether backward ways by virtue of our anthropocentric uh, center of gravity which means everything begins and ends with us and so we think that God the Father had to send God the Son because we sinned. That's a, that's a proud, vain, human-driven interpretation of why Jesus came. Jesus came for reasons known only to him, not because our missteps created a crisis that God therefore was obliged to remedy. Um, so that's just, let me repeat that. Since the one who saves already existed, it was necessary that those who would be saved should come into existence that the one who saved should not exist in vain. Now, don't let any of our listeners, like they did with St. Paul when they first heard Paul say that Christ did away with the law, and in my weakness is my strength, come and say, well, therefore we should go out and sin boldly, as Luther said. No. (laughs) Yeah, no. It doesn't follow from that. What follows from that is that Our weakness provides in God's providence the perfect place for him to make manifest who he has been before we ever sinned. 
So, so the capacity for sin is permitted by God for the purpose of his son being able to demonstrate who he is and how much love he has to give. One last quote I want to read you, and then I know we got to kind of wrap this up for today. But it's I, I, I was sharing this with my spiritual director and said how this has become my interpretive key now, both for the fathers and for helping us understand even the scriptures on a weekly basis. Um, and he pointed me in the direction of this quote from St. Faustina, exactly the same thing that Irenaeus is saying. Jesus says this to St. Faustina, the flames of mercy are burning me. I desire to pour them upon human souls. Oh, what pain they cause me when they do not want to accept them. So my final thought for today is, and it's the center of my homily for Good Friday, the passion of Christ is not the abandonment on the cross or the physical pain he suffered when the nails went through him or the agony with the scourging or even the despair in the garden. His passion, he did all those things freely, willingly, and joyfully. They did cost him his life and they were excruciatingly painful, but like a mother who does something because she cannot not do it for her children, the pain for love is absolutely irrelevant, and yet we've made it the contemplative touchstone of the atonement, and it's a big, big spiritual and theological mistake. The way we really need to see it is that the passion of Jesus is his uncontrollable desire to pour out everything he is and has for those who, whom God has created for him, which is you and me. And so the reason he chooses such a gruesome death is because it opens up his heart in a way that no other form of death could have, so that what's in his heart, symbolized by the blood and water, can pour out upon souls who are willing to accept it, receive it, and be assimilated into the same love that he pours out for the Father. I hope those thoughts help our listeners, and at least anyway, they're the ones inspiring me these days, so I hope they're not too far off the mark, and if so, we'll hear from Pope Francis in short order, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. Well, the, to close out our podcast, uh, we can be found at EncounteringTheTrinity.com, and from there you can find links to our Facebook page, our Twitter feed, and we can also be found on iTunes. I just type in the search bar encountering the trinity that will pull up our podcast and again if you don't mind giving us a rating one star five stars whatever it may be that would help us out we'd appreciate it and as always we definitely appreciate your thoughts and prayers and if you'd like to send us an email with a question or comment for myself or father phil we always are, are uh, accepting and, and can't wait to hear from you guys our listeners so um father phil if you don't mind closing us out today with a prayer Okay. Lord, you've told us in your Gospel of John that eternal life is to know you and to know your eternal Father. You are the one whom he has sent, and you have come to gather us to yourself so that we may be sharers in your resurrection. Grant us the grace of this Paschal season to deepen our faith to you and to keep walking to you through the suffering and death that we will all experience at some time in our lives, with the sure and so certain hope that you are there, the resurrection and the life, and that knowing you 
and knowing your Father, we experience even now as we contemplate these mysteries, the gift of eternal life, who you are in yourself. We make this prayer in the Holy Spirit to your Father, in your name, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen.